In this episode, I'll share a bit about how important it is that the really nice, compassionate, heart-centered horse professionals thrive. So here we go, episode 183, Heart-Centered Horse Professionals. I feel like this episode might be a little disconnected. (laughs) I don't know. I have notes. I've been thinking about this for a little while, but my brain feels just a little bit scattered. So I'm, I'm not sure if my thoughts are actually fully formed on this at this time. Uh, but you know, it's a good time to record it. Uh, Dana's not home, which means the potential for clanging and banging in the background is super low. Uh, I've, I'm sitting down, I'm in front of the computer, the microphone is there, and I hit record. So I guess I'll just keep talking and uh, see what happens. (laughs) I have to say, the the last few weeks, I've felt just a little, I don't know, a little not myself. They felt, I don't know, emotionally like there was just this undercurrent of... I don't know, something like dread, which is not like me at all. And I've been sort of sitting with this and, you know, going through the days and thinking, why am I feeling so weird? Like why? (laughs) Usually things are pretty rosy in, in, (laughs) inside my head. Uh, But just something has felt a little off. And I finally realized, I sat myself down and had a good talk to myself about this and figured out that, as I had mentioned in a previous podcast, you know, there's these um, more allegations in the dressage world uh, for horse abuse um, being delivered by uh, some, you know, quote unquote, top professionals, you know, people that have been in magazines and competed at a very high level. And there were multiple videos going around about it. And just this um, just this week, recently, there's another one in Canada who's just been suspended. And, you know, I guess it's, it's well, it is good. It's definitely good that the stories are coming out, that they're becoming public, that the organizations are at least knowing that they should give the illusion of doing something related to consequences, <laughs> you know, suspending them. But so that's good. That's definitely good. And the people that are speaking out and have firsthand, um, you know, witnessing of this and have the videos and are showing them, I mean, it needs to happen. Something needs to happen. But I have to admit, like it, it really is hard to watch. Now I know it's hard for most people to watch, um, but you know, there's a, I guess there's a reason why I like to stay in my little, my little happy dressage naturally world and my happy little bubble at home. Uh, I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter. (laughs) And, you know, but I do, I do know that I am doing my part, right? So I'm doing my part to help the horses and we all have a different role that we can play. And I think it's, important for each of us to decide, you know, what role are we playing? We don't all have to be activists, but there's something, there's something that we can all do. And even very small things can have a huge ripple effect. And I think definitely we have to start with just not being part of the problem. And I'm sure anybody listening to the Horse Training in Harmony podcast 
is um, probably um, on the side of doing things more nicely to horses or, or you at least want to. So the part that I'm focusing on doing is to give people possibilities, to show a different way, to help people think about things differently, and to give people something to move towards, an alternative, right? And also, I see my role as helping people um, get the courage to trust their instincts, to make decisions that are good for their horses, even if they aren't sort of the normal decision that people in a particular barn um, might be doing for themselves. So to be able to have the courage to say, this is how I'd like to do it. Because I find it really disturbing to watch those videos. And when I see it, I'm what I found is it was making me want to not do anything with horses. It felt like I had to make up for what other people were doing that was hurting horses. And I had to make sure that I did absolutely nothing to hurt them. And maybe I need to do nothing at all. And that's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty hard thing to have floating around in the back of my mind. But a really wise person said, if the most caring, sensitive people stop being with horses, then who is going to take care of the horses? And who's going to be left over? If all the most caring, compassionate, sensitive people stop, who's left over? I recently wrote a blog uh, that I called Smoke, Mirrors, and Horse Welfare. And I'll put the link to that in the in the show notes. It's in my blog, uh, blog.dressagenaturally.net. Uh, anyway, so in this blog, Smoke, Mirrors, and Horse Welfare, uh, I do. I mentioned that we all have a role to play, right? So some people are going to fight and directly confront and stop the people who are harming horses in this way. And some people are going to give... Um, give alternatives and something to move towards. So that's that's me, right? Along with the empowerment. And in that blog, I actually share why it's so hard for humans to actually say anything, to step up and to be the first one to help and to be the first one to say something when something doesn't look right related to anything. It's just the, how us humans are wired. So I'll talk a little bit uh, more about that because there's so much harshness in some areas in horse, the horse world. I mean, it's been so normalized and nothing is said and then it keeps going. And then that's just the way it is. And nobody's saying anything. So in the, in the blog, and I'll, again, I'll talk more about this in a second. Um, I discuss like kind of why that might happen. However, I want to contrast all of that because that's sort of been in the the background of my mind for the last few weeks since the new allegations came out and then the other new allegations come out. And that was after the other old allegations came out. Anyway, so this has been swimming around in my psyche and it's just been really bumming me out. And then to contrast that, last week I spent two different days with two different groups of heart-centered horse professionals. And it just changed everything. It put me right back in a hopeful mood. 
I mean, every time that I get in with these groups of heart-centered professionals, I'm left feeling so hopeful. And this is why, for me, it's so important to help heart-centered horse professionals thrive. It's why I want to help them. And you know, every time I, I work with these people, I remember, yep, this is why I'm doing it. And it was just in such stark contrast to the other professionals that I was seeing on these videos doing not nice things to horses. And then here speaking with this group and hearing what they have to offer and hearing how much they want to give and how much they already are giving. And, you know, the, the programs that I do, I mean, I specifically say that they are for heart-centered horse professionals. <laughs> so yeah, they have to self-assess. But I find, well, in since I've been doing this since 2017, uh, that definitely attracts the right ones. Because <laughs> I think non-horse, non-heart-centered horse professionals would not be attracted to that. Anyway, it seems to, um, it seems to be working. So when I get together with these um, heart-centered horse professionals, I'm not working on them. I'm not helping them with like training methods. Although a lot of their methods do overlap with kind of dressage naturally principles for sure. Um, but it's, I, it's, so it's not so much about horsemanship, but it's about being confident in the business part of their horse business, right? Because who else, you know, who's, who are those people, the professionals in the horrible videos? They won, they won stuff. They, they, they're um, in magazines. You know, people know their name. They've got the really expensive horses. So those are the people, those are the kind of professionals that are easy for people to find. Like, oh, I saw him in a magazine. Look, he won that. You know, he was in the Olympics. I'll go there. And the the caring, compassionate, giving, horse-first people, you know, those professionals, sometimes they're competing at high levels for sure, but they're often in the background. They're often too humble to really market themselves or to really speak out. And so this is what I want to do. I want to help. If, I, if I'm going to help be part of the solution, and part of the key solution for making the horse industry a better place for horses is to make sure that the consumers can see the contrast. And consumers, you know, that the people looking for a trainer, looking for instructor, can see what this one does and see what this other one does and says. And they can be educated on the difference. And the only way that's going to happen is if the people like me who like to stay in our happy little bubbles find a way to um, let other people know that we're over here in our bubbles. <laughs> Does that make sense? Otherwise, you know, everybody's just going to stay in their bubble and no one's going to find them. The heart-centered horse professionals are going to be like the best kept secret. And this we cannot have. <laughs> we need to make sure that they are findable. So the people I work with, you know, they can be body workers, trainers, chiropractors, instructors, kids program leaders in all different disciplines, equine assisted learning leaders, you know, et cetera, facility owners. I've worked with a, a huge range of people who self-identify as heart-centered and they all play a piece. And we all start to collaborate together and help each other and support each other. So it's the, the whole 
culture and community and atmosphere is completely different. And that's, that's the culture that I'm doing my little part to create. You know, because often these people are the ones who feel overlooked. They feel not good enough. They overgive and they run themselves ragged because they care and they want to give and they want to give and they want to give. These people also probably haven't raised their prices or they haven't thought about how they could give even more value to their students, but in a way that doesn't drain and exhaust them. I find the most heart-centered horse professionals give everyone else their time first and then with the time left over, maybe they'll get to their own horses or the rest of their life (laughs) and they are tired. So maybe some of you listening right now would um, self-identify as a heart-centered horse professional and you're nodding along to this and maybe some of you are students who have a favorite, amazing heart-centered horse professional that is helping you right now or that can pop into your mind when I've been talking about this and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so lucky I know this person. But we need to check in. We need to really see how are they doing? It's so nice to find an instructor that cares so much that you can text them in the middle of the night if your horse is sick and they'll come out to the barn and they'll just do everything and they'll trail it. You know, they give and they give and they give. But here's the thing. In the programs that I run, because I've opened up this door in this conversation, I hear how they're feeling and they love what they do. They love their students. They love their horses and they are tired. (laughs) And it's not sustainable and it's not profitable and they need help or they're not going to be able to do it for very much longer. They don't know how to market themselves. They don't know how to have boundaries around time. They don't know how to leverage. And what's going to happen if all of these people burn out? After seeing the videos of abusive moments at the hands of famous trainers, Then hanging out with the heart-centered horse professionals in my Transform Your Business program, the contrast could not be more stark and the solution could not be more clear. It's so clear why it's crucial to give the most compassionate professionals the help they need to succeed. It's an isolating career. Instructors don't usually have a circle of their own peers where they can really share openly about their business challenges. And even the most well-meaning people can make bad decisions when they're exhausted or running out of money. You know, talent with horses isn't enough. The compassionate professionals need help being easier for students to find and help creating sustainable businesses based on value and caring and compassion. Otherwise, the people who use, abuse, and cheat and lie will win and the horses will lose. So if this is resonating with you and you're a heart-centered horse professional and you'd like some help with the business part of the horse business, you can go to dressagenaturally.net slash TYB and find out all about the amazing program we have with information, support, and community. You can enroll anytime. All right, so now I wanted to shift back and talk about the blog that I recently wrote called Smoke Mirrors and horse welfare, because this is something that affects all of us, right? So I know there's, I've been talking, you know, kind of about professionals for a little bit, and I want to talk about something that 
everybody can um, can relate to and that affects all of us because it's really about human behavior <laughs> and why we might not act when we need to or even when we want to. So the blog, I'll, again, I'll put the link to it. Um, but, you know, we all think that I think when we see those pictures of abuse and horrible things happening, we all imagine that if we saw it, we would say something and we would do something. But I think it's easier said than done. So there's these few studies of human behavior that I had heard about over the years. And so I kind of put them all together. And I want to talk about it because I think being aware of these kind of dynamics in our human wiring can help us be more conscious of our own behavior and maybe it can help us spring into action when we need to. So when we catch ourselves hesitating and our brain is saying, well, maybe you shouldn't, maybe, you know, you can go, wait a minute, this is just the diffusion of responsibility wiring in my brain. <laughs> All right, so the first part of the blog, um, I, I titled this little section called Smoke, right? And it's about when we don't trust our instincts. And it's based on a study that's called the Smoke-Filled Room Study. And in the blog, I actually um, put the video of this, but you can, you can find it on YouTube yourself. But there's a classic experiment where um, the subject was put in a room and then there were other people in the room, but they were all actors and they were told um, to not react to anything. So smoke started coming out of a vent. And then the people were observed to see how long it would take for them to actually take an action about it. Now, when they were alone in the room, so I guess I have to back up. At first, they put people alone in the room. So they were the only one in the room. They were supposed to fill out this form. And then smoke started coming through the vent. And they were um, relatively quicker to get up and go take action on it because they were the only one in the room. But when there were other people around, people who were told to not react, the subjects would kind of look around, see what everybody else was doing. And if nobody else was acting on it, they would then decide also to not act, or they would just simply make, uh, wait much, much longer before acting. And in fact, the more people who were in the room doing nothing, the longer it would take for the subject to actually decide to take action. And that's what is referred to as a diffusion of responsibility. And I think it can really explain a lot about what happens in the horse world, right? So imagine a new student, you know, comes in to train with a top professional and they have many winnings and competitive credentials. And so they're really excited about this opportunity. And then they observe this trainer being you know, a little harsh to a horse, and they're probably a bit shocked, but they look around and see that no one else in the arena seems to be bothered by it. Maybe they don't even seem to be noticing. Maybe they're actually saying something positive, which can, is weird to think, but it's on the video, some of the videotapes I watched. So they see other accomplished riders and very fancy horses in training with this person, so they tell themselves it must be okay. They look around, nobody else is doing anything. They're new there. So they've just trained themselves that it's okay. It's a diffusion of responsibility. It's not my responsibility. Look at all these other people. 
they're not doing anything. So these students or observers become, I think, trained in a way to ignore and to tolerate this kind of behavior, even though I'm sure, I'm sure that something deep inside tells them it's not right. It doesn't feel right to them when they first see it, or maybe anytime they see it, but they train themselves to think differently. But I have to believe that there's a feeling deep down in there somewhere there's a feeling of goodness that they're actually having to to suppress or repress. They know in their hearts, even if they've trained their brains, that it's normal. So I think knowing about the diffusion of responsibility dynamic can allow us to have a little bit of compassion for ourselves and for others if we don't act. And I think if we remember this dynamic in the moment, we maybe have a chance to overcome it in the moment. And especially if you're standing with a group of people, you know, we see something and you're like, oh, I don't know, you look right and left, nobody else is saying anything. But what if, what if every person standing there was thinking the same thing and they're looking at you not saying anything and that's making them not saying anything? And I think the power, the power to overcome that and to be so bold is to say something to even just one person that's standing next to you or one other person that's observing it can have a huge, powerful effect. So I think it takes, it takes personal strength and it takes self-confidence to overcome what's called the bystander effect. So can we commit to doing or saying the thing that we know we want to do or say? Can we realize in the moment that not doing or saying something may be something we regret later? So there's another video I put in the blog um, called Are You a Bystander? And they did another experiment where there were a group of people, most of them actors, told to not doing any, do anything. And they had some paperwork they're supposed to fill out. And then um, an authority figure came in and I think the story was they were going to um, give feedback on a product. So in this case, it was a tent and the guy was like trying to set up this tent so that the people could give their feedback on it, like market research. And the guy was really struggling to put up the tent. Anybody who's put up tents can understand this. And so the subject of the study, if they were in a large group of people, They would see the person struggling, they'd look at everybody else, nobody else was doing anything, and they would tend to not help. So this can happen even if it's not like a high-risk moment where you're seeing an angry person harming someone, you might be afraid for yourself, you know, that that you might get hurt if you say anything. So this is someone setting up a tent. (laughs) And people would look around not doing it, not do anything. It's the human wiring. However, if they were the only person in the room, so it was just them doing their paperwork, and then the authority figure comes in and starts setting up the, the tent and is really struggling, then it was took a much shorter time. The person was like, oh, I'm the only other one here who can help, so I'm going to help. So this diffusion of responsibility is really, really powerful. So in a way, we have to maybe think, forget about everybody else. (laughs) I know how I feel. And hey, they need help. They need help. 
Taking an action can start with just a question or a comment out loud. This way, the others who may be feeling the same way but don't know what to do can see that they're not alone. You know, we're social animals and we look to each other. It's natural to want to kind of belong to a group and it can take courage to be different. But it seems, though, that the ability to take a positive action can also be contagious. So sometimes it takes just one person to cause others to be their best selves. And there's a video um, that also demonstrates this. So we can really mirror each other's lack of action and we can mirror each other's actions. So there's a video where there's somebody um, on a, like a city street, like just on some steps outside and they're, you know, seemingly passed out in, on these stairs looking, you know, in a very uncomfortable <laughs> position and people just walk by and walk by and walk by and walk by. And I know we've all seen this, you know, with, with a homeless problem, anybody who's lived in the city has unfortunately been, you know, kind of desensitized to this. So, but they, they put these people there and they found, well, they found that if they dressed the person more like a business person or something, um, they got help more easily. Uh, maybe just cause it looked more clear that they you know, didn't belong there or something. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> So people walked by and it was fairly busy, but then um, in the video there was one, you, you could see someone oh, thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. And then one guy went up and said, hey buddy, you know, can I help you? Do you need help? Do you need help? And as soon as that one person took an action, multiple other people came in. Multiple other people who wanted to help, but hadn't. So I guess the choice becomes, how do you want to feel at the end of the day? Do you want to go home and ruminate over what maybe you could have done or what maybe you could have said? Can you be the one that needs to ask the question that needs to be asked in that moment? I hope that I could be that person. Like I said, I love to sit in my little bubble here, but I'd love to think that I could at least say to someone next to me, like, hey, that doesn't that doesn't look right. That seems harsh. Because I think if you, if you say something and then you can get the group to agree, there's some power there. So, you know, the bumper sticker says that Gandhi said, you know, be the change, but apparently Gandhi did not actually say be the change, but he, he did say this. He said, if we could change ourselves, the tendencies in the world would also change. As a man changes his own nature, so does the attitude of the world change towards him. We need not wait to see what others do. So if I'll, I was going to say, if you see a situation that seems cruel, let's I'll say we, cause I need to hear this too. Believe me. If we see a situation that seems cruel, where we feel helpless and sad, and where we feel like we don't belong or that it's not our place to say something. Know that this means that we are actually in the best position to make a positive change. The other people we see around doing nothing in the situation are either used to it or they're too close to it. Or they're sitting there thinking the same thing we are, but not having the courage. 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. It's human nature, as we've, you know, you can see in, in the videos that I show in the blog. So I think it's important to practice compassion for the people who have become kind of mesmerized and numb. And perhaps the greatest act could be to simply ask the question, is this normal? Does that look harsh to you? Does that seem right to you? Doesn't feel right to me. You may find others who agree and are so grateful for the company. We're not all confrontational or fighters. I'm not, I'm not confrontational. I'm not a fighter, but I mean, I think we still can be helpful. We can do our best to be in a way that demonstrates compassion and rolls others is open. That isn't going to blame that makes you feel like someone could talk to you. And again, be someone who shows an alternative, a better possibility, something to move towards. You know, so many of my students say that they feel like weirdos. <laughs> like, I'm the weirdo at my barn. <laughs> I'm the weirdo at my barn for having so much fun with my horse. And being the weirdo who is experiencing joy and compassion in their relationship with their horse is as powerful and as important as being the one who's writing petitions, enforcing laws, changing rules, and actively rescuing horses. We all play a role. Now, the, the last uh, video that I put in the blog is, I love this video. It's from like 2009 or something, but it, it illustrates how I personally see my role in the whole horse welfare issue. And uh, so it's, a, it's at a music festival and people sitting outside and, uh, <laughs> and there's one guy dancing. So there's one guy dancing, he's kind of dancing. I don't know, I'll say weird, but you know, what is weird, what is normal? I don't know, he's just dancing. And you can see people are kind of look at, at, looking at him and probably thinking like, hmm, look at that guy dancing. And that, that's kind of how I felt a couple decades ago when I was a dressage trainer talking about, you know, riding, you know, talking about playing with my horses and, and riding bridleless and bareback and, you know, I felt like a weirdo that people were staring at, but like I was having so much fun, I just kept going. And so when I watched this video, I'm like, yeah, I know what it feels like to be a little bit of an oddball, but here's what happens. Eventually, after a while, another guy came down and started dancing alongside this guy. And that went on for a little while. And then a third guy came in and then a fourth. And at some point it went from four to like everybody <laughs> pretty quickly after that. So, you know, it was, it's so fun to watch this. You got to watch this video because the, you know, looking back at, at myself in, you know, the nineties and stuff like that, when I was just starting to be a little bit different in the dressage barn. And these days, like I said, hanging out with these, these professionals that I did last week, hanging out with everybody in my dressage naturally community, all of us weirdos laughing and playing and talking to our horses. And, you know, it felt like that music festival, <laughs> the, you know, one guy standing alone dancing. And then pretty soon everybody is running, running across the field to go 
dance and get a part of this energy. That's what we can do. That's what everybody can do to unapologetically live in joy with our horses. We can all be that first guy, (laughs) that first guy dancing in the field, not caring what anybody else thinks about him. And just as importantly, if we're not going to be the first guy, be the second, be the third, be the fourth person to join. So we can all choose our actions and we can choose who we mirror. And when we start to act, others can then mirror us. We can remember to trust our instincts and honor those little feelings inside when they bubble up. And we can overcome the strong tendency to not act on them. I think living in a state of joy and compassion is going to take practice. And I have for sure not mastered it. But I am practicing. To help the horses, we need to master ourselves, trust our instincts, and be unafraid to say something or do something. And the more we practice this in our everyday moments, the more chance we're going to be able to do something in the higher stakes moments. We do all play a role. We do what we can, and it all counts. And this is why I want to not only help the students with my horsemanship programs, but I want to help the other professionals. So many horse professionals are going it alone. They're doing what everyone else is doing and doing it the, the way we do things, right? And then that gets normalized. I mean, the horse abuse part, that's an extreme example, but it really can be for anything. The way horses are managed, horses belong in stalls, in little rows of, you know, solitary confinement. <laughs> it's normalized. The way lesson programs are set up gets normalized factory training model. The lifestyle of a typical local instructor gets normalized. Well, you're supposed to be broke and burned out and haggard and have no time for your own life, right? (laughs) It's like a badge of honor. It's apparently normal in the horse world to struggle, to be exhausted. There's a big crisis, mental health crisis in, in the horse industry. You know, and that's why I think in in my transform your business programs the community is one of the most most impactful parts of the program you know to have those peers to be able to talk to and to share in a non-competitive environment time and time again people tell me it's the community they say things like it's just so great to be able to talk to someone about this someone who gets it so it's a it's a isolated industry But when I bring together people from all over the world and we get to talk about our common challenges and figure out how to solve them in a way that, again, that like delivers more value to horses, more value to students, and also preserves the the professional, the person, so they can do it for a long time. You can discuss anything. It's a place where everyone wins. The horses win, the students win. And the professionals win. Hey, Karen Rolf here, and I want to talk to the heart-centered horse professionals out there. The horse world needs you, and I'd like to help you thrive. The Transform Your Business Action and Support Group is an amazing opportunity to be in a supportive community of people who really get the horse business 
and really want to help you succeed. And most of all, we all prioritize the well-being of horses and want to break free of business models that use horses as commodities and value exhaustion over self-care. You really can have a successful business and still run your life on your terms. This program combines the best features of other programs I've done at the most affordable price ever, with the main goal being that it'll pay you back many times over. Now, chances are you already know some changes that you want to make or that you need to make, but you keep hesitating. And I get it. It's scary to make changes. Most of the people that I meet need help with this sort of thing. Now, as soon as you start the program, you'll get access to training on creating a new vision, attracting ideal clients, managing your time, how to add leveraged offerings, pricing, packaging, and so much more. Then we do a live call every month where you can discuss your particular challenges. And every quarter, we do a deeper dive on important topics, and that's with me or guest experts. Plus, there's private coaching options that simply aren't available outside this program. Now, you can stay as long or as short as you like. Check it out by enrolling with a monthly plan. And then if you love it, and I think you will, you can save by switching to a yearly plan at any time. And of course, if you really want to set yourself up for success, you can save the most by starting with a discounted yearly plan. You know, I've seen the changes that professionals like you can make with this program. You really can increase your income while delivering more value to your students and end up with more time off. You can own your unique genius and have the courage to stand in the power of what you offer and we'll help you do it. It's so much more than information. It's your new home base of support to dream big, get help, and thrive in this horse business in an amazing curated community. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash TYB as in transform your business. And I really hope to see you soon. So that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to be something in the horse world that people can move towards. And I'm trying to help the professionals, the professionals who will never do some of the things that I saw in those videos. So this transform your business, um, account uh, action, (laughs) action and support group is my newest iteration. It's ongoing. It's all the information. It's the support. It's the community all rolled into one. And it's really meant to be a home base of support for heart-centered horse professionals to help them dream big and get help and love their lives in the horse business. When they're happy, everybody wins. Okay, so I know that this was kind of a weird mashup of talking about, you know, horse abuse and then talking about professionals. And yeah, I, I know that I hope the dots connected. They were connecting in my brain. I kept thinking of these two subjects. I'm like, they're connected, they're connected, they're connected, right? And I think I think it's important to make that connection. The horse we're the horse world needs more compassionate professionals. We need to help them thrive. We need them to be easy for students to find. And we need to have a community where it's safe to discuss all the challenges and keep making our best better and better for the horses.